0: Good morning, Merry Christmas. So excited that you guys are here as we share in the nativity. Story together. Matthew chapter 2. We're in a series right now called The Good News of Christmas. We've been looking at uh, just a couple of different stories in the Gospels to help us reflect on the good news that is the Gospel of Jesus Christ and why that's so important for us today. I'm so excited that you're here as we dive into this story from Matthew chapter 2 this morning. On the night of Jesus' birth, the angels proclaimed to the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. That good news had come. And and we see this in Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, I proclaim to you good news of great joy uh, that will be for all the people. And so we've been looking at, uh, like I mentioned, these different stories um, from the Gospels. We saw a couple of weeks ago how the good news was for sinners like Levi. Uh, Levi was a tax collector. He was one who uh, was around a lot of people that uh, we wouldn't necessarily think Jesus would be associated with, but there, there they were. And Jesus was there with those people because those that are sick are the one who needs a physician. And so the good news comes to those who are sick. And we also saw last week how the good news was for those who were religious elites, like Nicodemus in John chapter three, that need a new birth. And how Jesus came to bring uh, new birth, new life to those uh, who may have been reliant on a religious system uh, to give them hope, Uh, Jesus came to bring them hope as well. And so today we're going to see from Matthew chapter 2 that the good news is even for those who uh, are maybe the most anti-God people that we could think of, people who are really far from God and his presence, the good news is for them as well. In a message that I've entitled, Wizards, Kings, and Essential Oils. (laughs) So, uh, in the opening remarks to his letter to the church at Rome, the Apostle Paul wrote there in Romans chapter one, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also (laughs) to the Jew. To the Greek, And we see this pattern over and over and over in the Gospels and in the Acts of the Apostles, this pattern of how the Gospel comes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. First to the person who is a Hebrew or a Jewish person and then to those who are not. And that's actually what we see in the Christmas story as well. And here's the big idea that I want us to kind of walk away with from today after having read this story and listened to um, kind of these thoughts that I have here, here's what I want you guys to think about. Those that are far from God are welcome to worship. Those that are far from God are welcome to worship. And maybe you have uh, the same tradition that my family does, and that is reading the Christmas story, maybe on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. How many of you have that tradition where you read from the Christmas story? Uh, just a few of you. Okay, maybe some of you need to start a new tradition in reading the Christmas story. But uh, for those of you that maybe do that or, or, or have, have done that, more than likely you're reading the Christmas story from Luke chapter two. There's a lot more detail, a lot more drama in that story as opposed to the story, the account in Matthew chapter one. Actually, Matthew chapter Chapter one is is very brief and not detailed. It's very just kind of informational. Uh, Yeah, Jesus was born. Here's kind of what happened. There's not a lot of drama to it. And so we read Luke chapter two, we maybe have a nativity scene like this one here uh, that we just bought for my girls uh, this this year, so they could have some fun with this. Uh, Maybe yours looks a little bit nicer than this, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. Uh, But you look, you you read that Christmas story and you see the nativity scene and you see, yeah, the the shepherds and they're here and the angels are telling them. And and then it's like, well, Luke chapter two doesn't say anything about these guys right here. What? where do they belong in the story? How are they a part of the nativity? So Mythbusters right now, just for you guys or so you're aware, the wise men were not there the night that Jesus was born. Did you guys know that? All right, everybody knew that. Okay, news flash to no one. Okay, but I do think that the wise men belong in this story. And here's why I think they belong in the nativity scene that is very common in uh, maybe today, and that is because the story is just as much, the good news is just as much for them as it is for the shepherds. It is just as much for these strange people, wizards is what I'm calling them today, these wise men, these sorcerers. Uh, The good news of the gospel is just as much for them as it is for the shepherds and for anyone else who would hear about Jesus we see that the shepherds were the first to hear the good news. As the angels appeared to them the night that Jesus was born, good news for all of the people. And the shepherds, these these Jewish shepherds, were the first to hear the good news of the gospel. But if you remember what Paul wrote, he said to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which is why I believe that the wise men are included here in the nativity scene, because the good news of the gospel goes to the Gentile as well. And so uh, we're gonna keep them, right? We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not gonna toss them out. Don't throw them away uh, and, and, and act like they don't belong. They, they're, they're here and they, they belong in this story because their visit shows that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, came to everyone. And so the question that I had as I was reading this and studying for today is why does Matthew include the story of the wise men and not Luke? Ever thought about that? Like, why is it only in one place and not the other? And here's what I think is the reason for that. As Matthew was writing his gospel, he was writing primarily to a Jewish audience, it's actually uh, been called the Jewish gospel. Uh, the, the, the gospel of Matthew was written to people who you know, grew up in, in the Jewish religious system and would understand and know a lot of the, the, the customs and the cultures of the Jewish faith. And so uh, Matthew here, he's trying to make a point. And the point that I believe he's trying to make is that the gospel is for all people. And as he begins to write in Matthew chapter one, and we won't take the time to read through that today, but I encourage you to go and take a look at this. In Matthew chapter one, uh, he begins by writing the genealogy of Jesus. Um, which probably for a lot of us isn't that exciting, isn't that interesting. But in Matthew's uh, account of the genealogy of Jesus, he actually includes four women who I like to call the real housewives of Israel. Um, and if, if you take a look at their stories, you'll know what I'm talking about. But in, in those, the, the, of those four women, two of them were Gentiles. Rahab and Ruth uh, were both a part of the genealogy of Jesus. And so there in Matthew 1, uh, very subtly, I think Matthew's trying to help his his audience, his readers, know uh, that these women were important and these Gentiles were important in the lineage of Jesus. And then in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1, uh, he writes this in verse 21. She will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And I truly believe that when he says his people, he will save his people. He's not just referring to the Jewish people, but he's referring to all people that live on this world. Jesus came for all people because uh, Matthew then in chapter two includes this story of the Magi, of the wise Men who came from afar to worship Jesus. I truly believe that he's trying to make the point to his audience, to his readers, that Jesus came for everyone. And that's part of what I want us to see today. But but first I want to introduce you to a couple of the characters in this story. And so in Matthew 2 and verse 1, it says there Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. In the days of King Herod. So First question, who is Herod? Who is this guy uh, that is called the king of Judea? Well, Herod was born uh, to an Edomian or an Edomite father. Those of you that maybe are Bible scholars or theologians would know that Edom uh, is another term for Esau okay, uh, one of the, the sons of Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And so uh, Herod, uh, going all the way back to the time of the patriarchs and the time of Isaac, uh, could trace lineage back to, uh, to being a son of Esau, okay? And they lived pretty close to the region of Israel and, and Judah, uh, but they were still, in, in a lot of ways, strangers. They, were, uh, they, they weren't Jews, they were Gentiles. They weren't God's chosen people. They were kind of outsiders, and uh, he was born to uh, an Edomite father. He also had a uh, a mother who was from a nomadic Arabian tribe. And so here was a man who was not Jewish, uh, but because of uh, an alliance with Rome and because of a lot of wealth and, a, and power that he had uh, kind of built up, he was put into place. And if, for those of you that don't like history, I'm sorry, I'm probably boring you out of your mind right now. Uh, but but Herod was a, was a man who was of great power, of great authority, of great wealth. And he was essentially set up as the ruler over the territory of Israel at this time, under the Roman Empire and uh, he was one that uh, was was an ally obviously of Rome but he was also someone who tried to please uh, the people of, of Israel he, he wanted to uh, to have a good relationship with the Israelites um, to the to the, the point of actually building several cities and fortresses if you've ever seen or heard of the fortress of Masada in Israel that was uh, Herod's construction uh, Herod also built, uh, what's commonly referred to as the second temple. Uh, so Herod was influential in, in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, if, how many of you have ever been to Israel? Anybody ever been to Israel before? A couple of you have. Uh, I have not yet. It's on my list one of these days. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to go. But in Jerusalem still to this day is a remnant of the temple that Herod built. It's called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. Uh, that was part of the temple that Herod helped construct. So he was very uh, influential, very powerful, not just with Rome and with uh, people outside of Israel, but within the country as well. He had a lot of authority. Well, as was often the case with ancient rulers, and is probably still true of some modern rulers to this day, they don't like people who threaten their kingdoms. And so Herod is actually, it's recorded in history, uh, he had uh, put to death one of his wives and two of his sons uh, because they were threats to his kingdom. And so he was a very ruthless man, a man who had great authority, great power. Uh, We see here that Jesus was born in the days of King Herod. Now, as we continue reading in verse number one, we see that wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem. So who are these wise men, all right? Who are these guys that it's talking about um, some English translations, and maybe you have one there uh, with you today, but some English translations use the transliterated word magi, which is where we get our word magic or magician. From uh, So these men were essentially a, a caste, if you will, a, a group of people in, uh, from the area of Persia, more than likely, uh, who were specialists in the area of astrology and sorcery and mysticism and magic, all of these uh, crazy things uh, that they were uh, kind of just in tune with. And I believe that their names were Merlin, Gandalf, and Dumbledore. Uh, that 's kind of what comes to my mind when I think of wizards, those three guys, and so uh, that 's what i 'm calling them anyway. Uh, but in the story of Daniel, uh, if you go back to the Old Testament several hundred years before the time of jesus 's birth and uh, we read the story of Daniel, actually we see wise men uh, in that story as well and it 's and it's possible that these men in luke i 'm sorry in Matthew two would trace their their heritage back to the group of wise men in Daniel. Um, If you remember the story, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had had some dreams, and he couldn't, A, remember the dream, nor could he interpret uh, the dream that he had. And so he called in these astrologers, these sorcerers, these wise men uh, to come in to try to tell him his dream and what it meant. And they couldn't, they couldn't do it. And so ended up Daniel was brought before the king and Daniel was given a special ability from God to interpret the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so we see there a little bit of a, maybe a precursor to these, uh, this group of, of men, this, these, these, these sorcerers or these wizards, as I'm calling them today. And it's possible that because of that influence, Of Daniel and the Jewish people who were exiled in the Babylonian era and and the empire, that it's possible that they had an understanding or at least had a, had a, a knowledge of this promise that a Messiah, that a baby king would be born someday in Israel. And so here we see these wise men from the east arrive in Jerusalem. Now, what we're gonna do is kind of walk through these verses and and kind of pausing and uh, maybe looking at a couple of storylines from these verses here. So in, in verse two, follow along as I'm reading here, it says that these wise men came saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. Now, just imagine with me, the city of Jerusalem. You're there. You're a citizen of Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, this processional of wizards shows up and just kind of comes through the front gate of Jerusalem. I mean, if, if Jerusalem had Twitter at the time, a hashtag to be trending, like uh, about the news of these wise men and, 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 and this idea of a new king, a, a new king, like what are these guys Talking about a new king, we have a king. His name's Herod, and I'm sure Herod probably is starting to to hear the rumblings, uh, you know, of, of this news coming through as uh, as Instagram as, as reels of Prince Ali pro, uh, like processional's coming through from Aladdin, you know, and that's kind of the picture in my mind. Somebody asked me in between the services, now, did they ride horses, camels, or elephants? I don't know, but anyway. <laughs> They came in, you know, probably with a processional, uh, all this kind of uh, uh, stuff that they brought with them. Uh, Facebook in Jerusalem was filled with memes about a baby king, but then at the bottom it said, you know, uh, missing context, fact checkers have said that this this information could not be valid. You know, it's just all this kind of weird, crazy news cycle happening in the city of Jerusalem as these men come into town. I'm sure that the nightly news anchors were talking about how strange wizards are now seeking a baby king. And so all of this stuff just happening, right, in Jerusalem. Um, Maybe you guys don't have a those kinds of ideas. But that's what I think happened as, uh, as we read here. In verse number three, when King Herod heard this, somehow he, he found out that this was happening and these guys were, were in town and they were uh, looking for, searching for a, a baby king. King Herod heard this. Notice his reaction. He was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Well, it's probably not... Um, it's probably not surprising that Herod was disturbed by this news. I mean, here's uh, the news of a new king, uh, somebody who's trying to take over his kingdom. But what's fascinating to me is that the entire city of Jerusalem was also disturbed. And as I thought about that, and as I, as I uh, begin to uh, maybe think more on what, why would they be, why would the people of Jerusalem be disturbed as well? I think because it would have affected their comfort. It would, have, it would have overturned the cultural norms, the things that they were used to, right? They were, they were comfort, uh, comfortable to some degree under the rule of Herod and, and, and what that king brought. A new king meant change. A new king meant conflict. A new king meant Maybe some of our comforts are going to go away. And, and there's gonna be a lot of, of collateral that, damage that happens with a new king being announced and a new king trying to uh, take over the throne of Jerusalem. And so often I think maybe that we have that same problem. Don't we? When God wants to do something in our life, when God wants to bring something new, uh, what he often does is disrupt the normal. He disrupts the usual that is happening in our lives. And he will oftentimes bring someone or something into our life that is, that is new, that is, that is a change from what we are used to. And we have, an, uh, we have a choice to be disturbed by that or to accept that, don't we? Uh, to have the same reaction that Herod had or to uh, be excited about what God is doing in our life. I truly believe that growth does not happen in comfort. You can have growth, or you can have comfort, but you can't have both. So often in our lives, we want we want to grow, and we don't want God to do things in our life. We want a God to show Himself to us in, in very uh, powerful ways, and yet we're not. We don't want the uncomfortable. We don't want God to, to disrupt the apple car. We don't want God to disrupt our lives. We don't want God to take away the, the, the norms and the comfort and, and the things that we hold onto. We want God's blessing without the work that has to go into it. And so we see here this reaction from the people in Jerusalem about uh, trying to uh, wrap their head around this idea of a new king. And what does that mean for us? We'll see later on that Herod knew exactly what it meant. In his mind, uh, he was not happy about this idea. And continue reading on in verse number four. So King Herod assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod calls for the professionals. He's like, hey guys, bring in the scribes, bring in the priests, bring in the people who know uh, what these guys might be talking about. Get the professionals in here, because I don't have a clue what they're talking about. And so he he asks them to find the scriptures. uh, and, and, And sure enough, the priests and the scribes, they immediately know where to go. Uh, These guys know the word of God. They know the prophecies. They know the Old Testament. And so they find the the prophet Micah had written this prophecy 700 years before this event. Before these wise men came to Jerusalem, Micah had prophesied that, that a ruler would come out of Judah, out of Bethlehem in Judah. And so Herod, in verse number seven, secretly summons the wise men and asks them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Anybody believe that that's actually what Herod was up to? Uh, no, okay. He was not all about worshiping a new king, not at all. Uh, what strikes me as fascinating at in, in this part of the story is that a group of strangers, a group of wizards, a group of outsiders who had journeyed across the Middle Eastern deserts to get to Jerusalem in search of this newborn king. They had nothing guiding them except for maybe a planetary conjunction or some other cosmic phenomenon that happened. This star that had just arisen out of nowhere had guided them to this place. They got close to where they were going. And like any good husband, they stopped and asked for directions. They got to Jerusalem and they couldn't figure out where to go from here. So they, they stop and ask for directions. And, and then the people who gave them directions say, oh yeah, we know, we know exactly where you're supposed to go. Yeah, it says right here. Micah talked about it 700 years ago. You're supposed to go to Bethlehem. And then they send the wise men on their way. And none of them is intrigued or interested or fascinated by any of this at all. There's, there's not any a hint of any of them wanting to go and check this out for themselves. Yeah, just yeah, go go to Bethlehem. It's you'll, you'll probably find it. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be right there in front of you. But, but the priests, the scribes, the people who had a knowledge of the prophecy, they had a knowledge of the promise, and even Herod, who now began to to know about this promised Messiah, this baby king, this ruler who was supposed to come from Bethlehem. They did. Nothing with that information. They just sent the wise men on their way. Herod didn't even send somebody to tail them, you know, to follow them to Bethlehem to see if they actually uh, came across this new king. They didn't do any of that. You see, Herod and the scribes and the priests, they had a knowledge of the promise, but no belief that led them to action They had a a knowledge of, of the word of God or the promise that God had given, but not enough belief in it to take action. Tony Robbins wrote in his book, Unbreakable, people love to say that knowledge is power, but the truth is that knowledge is only potential power. You and I both know that it's useless if you don't act on it. You see, power doesn't come from knowledge, power comes from action. And here was an opportunity for Herod and and the the scribes and the priests to believe, to take action, to to see and hear the prophecy, the promise that that God was coming, that God with us, Emmanuel was born in Bethlehem. They had a knowledge, but they didn't act on that knowledge. And I just have to, to wonder, What promises from God do you and I have knowledge of? What promises do we know from God's word that we aren't acting on, that we aren't believing and taking action in? And we think that, oh man, knowledge, I just gotta learn more of God's, I've just gotta read, I've just gotta listen to What God wants from us is for us to put into action the knowledge that he has given to us, the wisdom from above, the word, the promise that he has for us is just waiting for us to believe enough to take action. In verse number nine, after hearing the king They went on their way. The wise men took action. They they believed in the promise enough to say, you know what, we're this close. We're not turning back now. We're gonna make the seven mile trip. Yep, it was only seven miles to Bethlehem. We're gonna finish this thing out and we're gonna go. And so they went on their way and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. And it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. This group of wizards had stepped out in faith at the the sign of a star, way back wherever they came from. They stepped out in faith believing that this star was going to guide them to where they needed to go. They began this quest of finding this child that belonged to this rising star. They'd come from a great distance. No doubt they'd made great sacrifice in journeying across the Arabian, the Syrian desert, And they had just, just when they had thought they may have taken a wrong turn, the star appears to guide them to where the child was. verse number 10, when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. When they saw the star once again, declaring the direction of finding what they were looking for, they were overwhelmed with joy. My wife Leah and I have been reading a devotional together this month, Uh, that's called The Joy of Christmas. It's kind of leading us up to uh, the Christmas uh, season. And in this devotional, the author unpacked the idea that joy literally means to live in the awareness of grace and favor. Having joy means literally living in the awareness that God's grace and God's favor is the only thing that's keeping me joyful. Everything else around me I can't depend on to give me joy. But Jesus and and his grace and, and his favor upon my life is what allows me to live joyfully. Joy is grace recognized and lived out. Is grace recognized and lived out. You see, joy is possible for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Joy is possible. We can live a joyful life because of the grace that we have received from above. Now, we still have a responsibility to choose joy, and we still are commanded to rejoice in Scripture. We just saw this in Philippians the last couple of months, this idea that we have an opportunity to choose to rejoice, but we can choose joy because of God's favor, because of God's grace on our lives. These wise men were overwhelmed with joy because they had found the literal, physical presence of God here on earth. They saw the star and they knew that they had found what they were looking for. They came to worship someone they didn't know, and yet they were met with overwhelming grace and joy. And that hopefully was true of you and can be true of you if you are still not yet a believer, if you still have not yet entered into relationship with God. God will meet you with grace and with joy when you come and enter into relationship with him. They were met with this overwhelming Joy. Verse number 11. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Now, just imagine yourself a fly on the wall or maybe a sheep in the back pen in the house where they were. These strange men come in dressed in these wild outfits arriving with goofy grins on their face because they've just experienced overwhelming joy at finding the star and finding what they were looking for. And I can just hear Mary asking them, how did you guys find us? How did did you know where we were? And I'm sure they replied by saying, we passed through the seven levels of the candy cane forest, (laughs) through the sea of twirly, swirly gumdrops, and then passed through the Lincoln Tunnel. I'm sure that's how they got there. But anyway, they got to Bethlehem. They got to the place where Jesus was and they immediately bowed down to worship because those far from God are welcome to worship. And verse number 11 goes on to say, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Not only have these wizards traveled at great lengths to find Jesus, but they brought their most valuable gifts they could find. The, the most valuable possessions of their time, Bitcoin and essential oils. <laughs> it's essentially what it was. And much has been written about each of these Items and each of these gifts that they brought to Jesus and much speculation about this and this is why and, and all of this, but, but suffice it to say that each of these items was valuable, was very precious because of its rarity. And, and what the, the point of what I think Matthew's trying to get at here is, is they brought the best that they could find to worship the King, to worship the Messiah, Jesus, this child, God with us. And in verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So now they see a dream, the wise men do. And we don't know what, who it was that appeared to them or what that dream was like, but they knew very clearly that they were not to go back to Jerusalem and tell Herod anything, but they were to go back to their own country another way. And that was God's providence, obviously protecting Mary and Joseph and Jesus. But for these wise men, a group of people far from God, they viewed the good news of Christmas as a promise fulfilled. They experienced the fulfillment of the promised Messiah. They came to worship Emmanuel, God with us. But for Herod, as we think about the difference between the wizard's and the king, the wise men, and Herod. For Herod, this news was not good. It it wasn't good news for his kingdom and for his power and authority. But instead, Herod thought that another king in potentially his backyard, that's a threat. That's not a promise. That's a a threat, And he was committed to removing this threat that would potentially topple his kingdom. If you continue reading in chapter 2, you'll find that Herod took a great effort to eradicate and eliminate what he considered to be a threat to his own kingdom. We see here two strangers, if you will, responding in very different ways to the same truth. The wizards believed and followed a star without potentially any other understanding of what it meant or where they were going or what was going to happen. They followed in simple faith to come into the presence of God. Herod understood and knew Jewish culture and heard the word of God read very clearly and plainly. He had a knowledge of what was happening in that moment He was not far from the presence of God geographically. He was only seven miles away from where the promise was to be fulfilled. And yet he rejected it. He chose to protect his own kingdom instead of promoting the kingdom of Jesus. He sought to protect his own power and his own authority and his own possessions, his own wealth. He was trying to protect what was his instead of surrendering it and worshiping the king of kings, the Messiah. And sadly, before the second chapter of Matthew closes, you'll see that Herod actually dies and his kingdom is broken into pieces, ruled by his children. His kingdom would not last beyond this chapter. And yet he had an opportunity to come and worship. Those that are far from God, maybe geographically, maybe spiritually speaking, both of these people, the wise men and Herod, were in the same place. They were both far from God. And they had an opportunity as they encountered the truth of this promise, the truth of the Messiah, They had an opportunity to respond and yet they chose different responses. Maybe you're here today or you're watching online or you're listening to this later on. You feel like maybe the wise men or Herod. You feel far from God. You're not sure what you believe. You're not not sure what you think about Jesus or the the Bible or Christianity. Somebody has tried to talk with you before and you're just not sure where you are what you believe. Maybe you've seen a sign recently. Maybe you've seen God at work trying to get your attention or direct you to the truth like these wizards saw a star. Maybe you've even read scripture and had opportunities to believe in the past and yet you haven't yet. Here's what I want you to know. Those that are far from God are welcome to worship. God wants to receive you with open arms. He wants to welcome you into his kingdom. But what we have to understand is that we cannot keep our kingdom and enter into his. We have to let go of the authority, the power, the control, the possessions maybe that we have as little kings of our own kingdoms. We have to let go of what we want to hold on to that is our kingdom in order to be welcomed into his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. There is good news for you today. You can come and worship the king. Maybe you know somebody in your family or a friend or a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate. There's somebody that you know in your circle of influence that, that maybe you would identify or classify as someone who is far from God. These wizards were very clearly not people that we would associate with Christianity. Sorcerers, astrologers, wizards, magicians. These were people who believed in things, probably pagan practices and and things that were very anti-God. And yet God reached out to them. They took a step of faith and God welcomed them to worship the king. My encouragement to you this morning is that you would pray and continue praying, and continue reaching out to those that you know who might be far from God. Don't give up. Don't give up on praying for them. Don't give up on sharing with them about the joy that can be found in Jesus. The grace, the favor that he gives us can be theirs as well. The invitation remains open to those who are far from God. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. What's interesting to me as I was studying this week, as we look, about, look at and think about the gospel of Matthew as he's writing to a Jewish audience and trying to help them understand that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Messiah came for everybody. Everybody is welcome. He opens with this story in Matthew chapter two that the, the wise men came to worship Jesus, that, that those far from God are welcome to worship. And then he closes Matthew, the gospel of Matthew with the words of Jesus. As Jesus said in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So from beginning to end and everywhere in between, Matthew's trying to help us understand that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the good news of the promise is for everyone. So come and worship and go and make disciples of all nations. That's the invitation that Jesus gives us today. Would you pray with me right now? Our Father, as we bow our heads right now and we pray, we we come to you, God, and we thank you for the miraculous birth of the Messiah, Jesus, the savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us. God, you loved the world so much that you gave your one and only son so that we can enter into relationship with you, that we can come and worship you. Father, I pray right now today for those who are here or maybe watching online who don't know you. They, they know about you, but they haven't entered into a personal relationship with you. God, I pray that they would come and worship, that they would humble themselves and let go of their own kingdom and enter into the kingdom of heaven, that they would come to you by faith and believe in the promise, the promised Messiah. God, I pray for those in this room right now who are believers, who are followers of Jesus. I pray, God, that we, would continue to let go of our kingdom. That we would put you at the top, at the center of our lives. And that we would continue to be about making disciples of all nations. Because the gospel can only go as far as we send it. it can only go as far as we tell it. Father, help us to be mindful of those that are far from God who are welcome to worship. We ask you this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship this morning?